Thank you for calling Launch and Go. This is Darren. Darren, this is President Trump. Hey, President, how are you? I'm not doing so good, Darren, but I got to tell you, I'm really happy to hear that today you're going to be talking about one of the most important topics in the world, which is fake news. Yeah, we're really excited to have this guest on. It's going to be a lot of fun and very informative. You just have to look at the things that they're doing in Pennsylvania. Just look at what they're doing in Arizona. Look at what they're doing in the places, Darren. Frankly, it's it's disgraceful. And Darren, you probably don't know what that means. Frankly, that means it's full of disgrace. (laughs) That's a preposition. I appreciate that. A a It's a word thing, Darren, that you probably don't understand. Something that you don't get to uh, do much of anymore, huh? No more Twitter account for you there, sir? Exactly. Uh, My point, Darren, they're trying to shut me down and it's not good. It's bad. Did you call just to talk or did you have a question for me today? No, I just wanted to say thank you, Darren, because frankly, not enough people are talking about this very awful problem that everybody knows. Everybody knows it's it's fake, Darren. We need to talk about it more. Darren, it's... You know... Oh. Excuse me. Hang on. Mr. President? Oh, God. It's the secret chair. Yes? Mr. President, you have to come with us now. It's time to go. No, no, I don't want to go. I don't. Well, take care, Mr. President. Thanks for calling in. No! Kiss me now! Welcome to Beer and Business. You found the best podcast for entrepreneurs. We serve crafty business knowledge, comedy, and yes, beer. And now it's time for our hosts. If he were to pat you on the back, you'd list it on your resume. It's Jake Mullins. And his beer never gets warm. It just sits there, staying frosty, waiting for him. Mr. John Winnie. And if you spell his name in Scrabble, you automatically win. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Darren Flanagan. Janice Heisel, welcome to the Beer and Business Podcast. Well, thanks. I'm excited to be with you guys for some strange reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's like got jokes girl. and she starts early. Wow. Good, good for you. Obviously, she heard that I was in the studio today. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, uh, Janice Heisel is a former recovering journalist and an author. Really excited to talk to you today about fake news. But before we get into that, guys, we are drinking some delicious beers from the official beer of the Beer and Business Podcast, Lion Creek Brewing, Mr. Winnie, Peach yes. Tree, Georgia. We are drinking, what is this, Darren? This is a Cloud to Ground IPA. It's a mm. six and a half percenter. It's fantastic. Um, it is. Easy actually. drinking. I know. Totally. What would you call this, like a West Coast style? Kind of, sort of, maybe-ish, John. I don't know. I don't it's know. not. It's not, not like the really? hazy uh-uh. New England style. I think it's more of. It's, it, it reminds me of kind of like a West Coast style pale. It's got it's some fruity. stuff floating. A little in there. bit of fruit to it. Yeah. Don't know what that float is, but it tastes it's, good. It's debris, and it's delicious. And then the second one we're going to have after this, we'll just get it out of the way right now. That way we can just go straight through the whole what episode. Is it? Renegade. Ooh. Ooh, the black that black pilsner that they make. Oh yeah. The yeah. black lager. Excuse me. It's a black okay. lager. It's yummy. I am a it's renegade. Nice. So. You are a renegade. Yeah, I'm a Thanks. renegade without a clue. Number one college, <laughs> recognized college mascot in America. Renegade. And renegade is a great song too, right? It is, it is. yes. 
<laughs> so folks, uh, please support the brewery. If you are in the Atlanta area, you need to come down and hang out. It's a, it's a beautiful brewery, great bar, cool vibe. They've got food trucks, events. You can go to the uh, brewery hours app, check out what's going on, but you need to, ch- you need to come to the brewery. And if you can't make it because you don't have a car and you can't download the Uber app because your phone is old, whatever, then at least go to the store and get some beer. Yeah. Most you local said you were convenience go pick stores. Yeah. And you know, local grocery stores. They're all they the way down. To, I just heard that they are actually in one of the big chain grocery stores all the way. I mean, they are locally, but all the way down in LaGrange now. So if you're oh, in LaGrange, you that. can find it in the regular supermarket. And if it's yes. not in your, the store that you frequently go to, just burn it to the ground. Cause no, that's what we do no, nowadays. Pretend. We're not happy with you something. Can, we just burn it to the ground, right? You can pretend. <laughs> that's right. Oh, don't do that. I'm right sorry. That's now. bad. That's bad. Sorry guys. Don't. Well, Burn the package is, stores do they down. Really, just, really, truly burn things to the ground, or is that just yes fake news? <laughs> oh, well, ask the ask the uh, people that live in uh, Portland, New York City, Chicago. Uh, could we just keep going? Yeah, yeah, just it's keep on. Yeah. It's real. So, Janice, you are a what I would call a recovering journalist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually use that term to describe myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it that got you into journalism in the first place? Well, I think that a lot of people who go into journalism are kind of maybe idealistic, especially at first. You you think that you're going to maybe improve the world a little bit by the work that you do. On, On a good day, I always used to tell people, wow, I go out, talk to people, learn new things and tell other people about it and get paid for it. What a cool job. <laughs> and I've, I always loved reading, writing, and talking to people from the time I was really, really a, a young kid. And so it just seemed like the right direction for me. And, and I was a little on the naive side, maybe, thinking that, you know, my little part of it was going to make the world better. And there were some times, you know, throughout my career when I would actually see evidence that something I wrote mattered. And That feeling is incredible, knowing that you literally did make some kind of a difference and you could actually see it. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And that's exactly why I would expect to to hear somebody want to go into journalism. Oh, yeah. I mean, you show up at the local store and with this coupon and you get half off. Right. And that makes a difference. Jesus, Darren. It's not, oh, she didn't write ad copy. She was a real journalist. I have to podcast with this idiot, Janice. Oh my goodness. Janice, when you were, when you were young, did you watch the movie, All the President's Men? And then you're like, see, they made a difference. So I can too. Yes, actually I did. I did watch that movie and I, I never ended up covering the national politics, but sometimes I did cover local politics. And, um, my main thing that I covered was crime. Um, but then there's oftentimes political intersections with crime, you know, Mm -hmm. different laws that are passed that relate to crime. And so I dabbled in a bunch of different areas of journalism. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, you said you reported on crime. Was that your forte? That was kind of what I gravitated toward mostly. Um, it's kind of an interesting, aspect of me that I am a really pretty much a wuss at heart of a tender hearted person, but yet I was drawn to these gory, horrible cases. Gosh, so my like my stop. heart and my head were always in conflict with each other. My wife keeps but I think watching that. ID it made me a good reporter yeah. because 
I was able to relate to families of, say, murder victims, um, but I also would interview the families of the people who were accused or even the accused people if they, on a rare occasion, would grant interviews. So you have to be able to be almost kind of empathetic, I think, to all of those different types of people. And a concern that I have now is I feel like those especially at the national level, that the reporters don't seem to go for all of the different stakeholders in the story the way they used to. That's what I perceive. Well, I think now, especially at the national level, you can pretty much just combine the crime and politics sections as one. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, it's, it's really the same thing. <laughs> Well, it's either that, I mean, or they were, even though you're saying that they don't seem to cover it, do you think they're being reined in and not allowed to cover the other aspect? It's like, just go out, do this one thing. That's all we need you to do. Well, you know what? Actually, I've thought about this quite a lot, and I've done presentations about the topic of fake news. And I think there are several factors at play here. I think that sometimes there is an agenda from the news executives or the news organization. Um, But I also think sometimes that the reporters themselves have an extreme bias one way or the other. And with the fast breaking 24 seven on and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube environment that they're in, there's no time to really do any introspection and ask themselves, hey, do I really have a bias about this? Do I need to really work harder to get this other side that I'm not thinking of? Am I framing my questions in a way that is that is biased and already assumes or presupposes things that I should not? I don't think that introspection happens much anymore. That's the problem, part of the problem. Well, I'm going to, I think one of the great things to do in this conversation is to kind of start with the punchline and then work ourselves backwards. Because, okay. and let me explain that. I, I think that we're at a place today where not only is the news that we're getting uh, biased, but in many cases, it's flat out lies. And I talked to so many people that are like, well, no, no, the news couldn't lie that much, could they? But it's like you can see a story and have, you know, one network tell you one side of it and then another network tell you the other side of it as though they're both fact. Well, somebody's got to be lying. Everything, all angles can't be true. And so we've gotten to this place where I, I feel like, well, it's not that I feel like, I know because I see the evidence that these news media organizations have become echo chambers. They are narratives looking for facts and information to support what they think the conclusion already is. But I absolutely, I agree with that. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm I'm speaking here mostly about the national level when we're talking about like national level politics. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, what the reason why I said I wanted to start with the punchline and go backwards is because Mr. Winnie and Darren and I were students of history. Were we love this country? I, I think we all would consider ourselves kind of constitutionalists, you know, and always seeking the truth. And, and good constitution. It's a, it's fine. 
you like it? It's a good, good document. I would put myself in that same category. <laughs> I, I'm, I love this country. I've always been about finding the truth as best I can is what I've always told people when I was in journalism. Yes. So the reason why I wanted to go backwards is because I started my interest in politics when I was a teenager, which I was really quite nerdy. And for whatever reason, I, I realized that I was interested in politics. I know Mr. Winnie also took an interest in politics early on. Darren, you were probably doing too many drugs back then to remember any of that. Sports stuff, and girls. Dude, <laughs> right? that was more important. Sports but, and girls. Uh, you could deal with politics. Well, I was, you didn't find but, girls attractive back then, huh? But for the longest time, you know, the the news in the, in the U.S. was – um, it was biased. It was slanted towards the left. No. But that what's happened in the past, I'd call it 15 years, is this move from having a bias to almost even, I, I don't even know that this word is strong enough, but being an appendage of a political party. And it, it is shocking how fast it's happened and also how much social media has gotten intertwined into this, um, this whole notion of who's the arbiter of truth. Because I think ultimately the, the problem today is you take a, a big topic and it's like, well, what's the truth? You know, COVID-19, where's the truth? Oh. I have a hard time figuring out what the hell to believe. You know, we just have this event that happened, you know, last week. Uh, at the Capitol, and what's the truth? You know, because you hear different versions and you hear flat out lies. And I think so many people are, are they don't want to believe that they would be lied to like that, but we are. Well, yeah. you know, I want to interject here that sometimes part of the problem, in fact, often anymore, part of the problem is the omission, the complete blacking out of information that is relevant to a situation. Um, you know, look how many people have been banned from Twitter, not just the president of the United States, which in and of itself, if you look at it, you think, wow, if that can happen to the leader of the free world, I don't care if you love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump. I've always been the kind of person who I might think so-and-so is a complete ass, but I will defend that person's right to be an ass publicly all day long. Oh, thank sure. goodness. I need you around <laughs> me more often. And I so will, that's I my will support that person's right to be Darren Flanagan all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's my concern Hell is that um, there's an old kind of story, like a, like a little uh, analogy, that say that you have an elephant, and at the front of the elephant – one person's standing and that person describes what he or she is seeing, seeing, can't talk, but the person at the back end of the elephant sees something very different. <laughs> and both of them are being accurate, but neither of them is telling the whole story. Yes. That's, that's a very that's, good way to yeah, put it. Really... So, so let's go, let's go back. I don't know if it was 15 years ago or when we started to see this rapid shift, but things started to change. So what was it in the, the news industry, I'll call it, Janice, that really started to, to push us towards this slide to fake news? Well, I, if it's all right, I would like to kind of go back into my history as a journalist and give you an illustration. Yes, of, we'd love that. Of what, what I perceive has happened. Um, so I was fresh out of journalism school. It was the mid-1980s. And at that time... 
there were abortion protests across the country. It was a very, very hot button issue, way more than it is right now. And at that time, I was working for the paper in Youngstown, Ohio. Now, there had been a pretty major abortion protest that made national headlines because there was an arrest of a very high ranking, I believe, I'm not 100% sure on this, but because I don't, so I don't want to be fake. I want to be real. I believe it was an archbishop who was arrested while having, being part of this crazy setup where a bunch of people had chained themselves through this elaborate, you know, setup with chains underneath a car and seatbelts wound together in a pipe so that they couldn't remove them from the doorway of an abortion clinic in Youngstown. I mean, it's just insane. <laughs> so yeah, pretty crazy stuff. So here I am, I'm, I'm a cub reporter, you know, and um, we found out that a number of these protesters had actually come from a, a university that was maybe an hour, hour and a half drive away from Youngstown, maybe a little more, further than that in Steubenville, Ohio, and uh, University of Steubenville. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I was assigned to do kind of a more of like a project. A lot of times when there's a major event in the news, they will have a reporter then kind of take a look at the whole ball of wax, not just the breaking news, hey, people were arrested for this protest, but then, okay, like dissect the whole, here's the pro-abortion side, here's the anti-abortion side, here's how all this boiled together, you know, culminated in this this big event. So here I am, a young reporter, and an editor comes to me and says, hey, Janice, we'd like to send you out of town and go to Steubenville and do a big project on this. And I was super excited. This was going to be one of my biggest, you know, first assignments. And, but then I had been aware because it was pounded in my head in journalism school about bias and about being aware of one's own bias. And I realized that I had very powerful feelings a certain way about this topic. So I confessed that to my editor. And he's like, you know, Janice, I really appreciate you being honest in telling me this, but look around this room. Do you really think there's not a single person in here who, you know, wouldn't have a strong feeling? We all have strong feelings about this. So it's your duty. And I don't want to hear what your viewpoint is, Janice. I trust me to be your backstop that if I see that what you're putting together is, is slanted one way or the other, I will help you fix that. I will remedy that for you. Just do your job to the best of your ability. And you do realize that because the people on both sides of this spectrum that are willing to go chain themselves to a car and then at the other end of the spectrum that have pictures of bloody babies that are against abortion, you realize both sides are nuts. (laughs) 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 So everyone you talk to is going to be nuts. Just recognize that. And, and to me, what the, what my editor was telling me was about extremism. And I, I think that fringes of both sides are kind of a little off, right? (laughs) I hate to say it, not just this topic, but many, many topics in our society. And so the kicker of this whole situation was I did my darndest to really be fair to both sides, setting aside my own very strong feelings. And I actually came up with a method that I used for many years after that, where I printed out my project and I used highlighter to color in 
one side of the story and then the opposing view in a different color. And I aimed for a visual. This was kind of a way to kind of objectively measure how much content was for each side. And uh, that was a technique that served me very well for many years. And I really feel like that right now, one of the biggest problems is that journalists don't have the time or maybe even the self-awareness to do this type of introspection where they go, I feel this way. Or, and or the they're not aware of, of it, or they're not aware uh, of the fact that there's more than one color highlighter. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's pink there's too. It's not just yellow. Yeah, but it doesn't taste as good. It's a different flavor. Oh, that's a that's good point. Probably. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural thing really that's come about over many years. Right. I mean, maybe there aren't any of those uh, editors. Well, that Janice, that Janice has that that yeah. kept her in check. What good ones? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then, like intellectually, and the other kicker of this whole thing was after I poured my heart and soul into making the story as fair and as balanced as I could make it. Guess what? Both sides were pissed off at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's um, great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, that's what's that missing. Did a great job then. That's what's missing in journalism because the truth isn't easy. You know, and I'm I'm actually glad that we're starting with this because. I have talked about this before. I don't know that I've talked about it on the show, but I think abortion is the perfect issue to illustrate this point. And that is the the social construct is your pro-abortion or your pro-choice. Or right. wait a minute. No, you're yeah. I screwed that up. No, you did. <laughs> yeah, pro-choice. see I can't even I can't even say it right. Pro-choice either, or pro-life is your pro-choice or pro-life. Yes. Yeah. Both of them get you. to use the word pro. Guys, this is how good Line Creek beer is. I can't even I can't even You've get a simple issue right. I know it's <laughs> ridiculous, but it was a really good one. Okay, so you're either pro life or your or your pro choice, right? And it is a very divisive, divisive topic. But I think that we can make a lot, a lot of headway on this particular topic if the dialogue in the public was honest. And here's what I mean by that: if you are pro choice. If you were very honest with yourself and others, you would probably not support late-term abortion, especially if it's just, I don't want the baby anymore. It's nine months, but because it's on the other side of a piece of skin, go ahead and and terminate it. You know, most people that are pro-choice would not be okay with that, especially if they sat in the room and watched the procedure. Mm -hmm. They would never be okay with it. On the flip side, you take somebody that's ardently pro-life. And you said, hey, listen, can't we just find a way that before that baby has a heartbeat, you know, if there are certain circumstances that somebody can terminate, like there's there's somewhere in the middle where we can meet and make progress on both sides. But that's not the dialogue that happens nationally. The dialogue nationally is it's you're one or the other and the other side is evil and bad for all these reasons and you should never talk to them. Mm-hmm. And that's just right. you, you start from the premise of a lie and you're never going to get anywhere. But we can take this concept that you just raised and apply it to so many things, whether it's coronavirus, exactly. Donald Trump, what happened at the Capitol. And it seems like people get entrenched in a viewpoint. They have that viewpoint reinforced by going to a very right wing or very left wing media outlet because that's what they believe in. And it's like that elephant analogy. They're not seeing the whole picture. And here I am trying to describe the whole elephant. 
Well, let's let's go back and talk about the the change in journalism and the business model because I thought your your story was a great one, and I God, I wish that that level of uh, morality and ethics existed in in journalism today that you d- described for yourself and for your editor. I don't but it's think not the case. most journalists could spell either of those words today. I, I can't either just, because I have a spell check on my phone. There's a few. That's, there's a few out there. There's a few. There's a few, there's a few but, smart ones. But back, you were you were saying that 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 was from the eighties. So in the eighties, yeah. the the news business was very different. There wasn't twenty four seven cable news. There wasn't. God, no. <laughs> there wasn't internet. There wasn't social media, and so this business model evolved. And first, it went to online, and then it went to you know kind of clickbaity stuff, and then you know it's evolved. Cable news, twenty four hour cable news, multiple cable news networks. And how has that evolution changed the way that a, a news organization exists from a business perspective? Well, I, I completely agree with you that the model has changed, but I wanted to throw in a couple points that dovetail with what you just raised. Um, a lot of people don't realize that I think you're talking a lot about the changes in technology um, that have forged a lot of changes in journalism, but I like to say this actually changes in economics. And what I mean by that is news organizations really made some stupid mistakes when widespread use of the internet started to take hold in the mid nineties. And I really feel this kind of set off a chain reaction for like almost like a death spiral for traditional newspaper journalism. Um, I remember being in a meeting at a newspaper that I was working for and somebody raised their hand. We were starting, just starting to put some of our stories online and not everybody had a home computer yet with internet access. If they did, it might be dial up. I mean, it was pretty primitive. I I still remember that. And this person, I don't remember who it was, but one of my colleagues raised his or her hand and said, Hey, um, but why are we putting these stories out there for free? And I don't remember the response other than, the question was kind of blown off by, you know, the big wig who was conducting the meeting. And now in hindsight, I look back and I realize how important that question was, because once you give away content for free, people don't want to pay for it. Think about your own behavior. When you go to a website, if you hit that paywall, how often do you really go beyond it? You just don't. Right. Yeah, it's funny. So I... I remember the uh, we talked uh, several months ago about the uh, documentary, um, The Social Dilemma, that was on Netflix. Oh, and, excellent. Yeah. And it was a great documentary. And if you have not watched it, you need to watch that documentary. It'll blow your mind. But the one, the one statement that I found so incredibly profound from that documentary was, if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. That is the biggest message of that documentary. I agree completely. And I think you're right. I think very early when the shift to the internet happened, a lot of media companies, traditional, what I'd call traditional media companies did not understand. Cause I'll I'll be honest with you. And I, and I don't fault people for this, but I, but I do fault them for not making the pivot. I remember the first time I saw a camera on a phone it was a Motorola 720, I think it was. <laughs> I even remember the model numbers, this flip phone. And it took these pictures that if you squinted really hard, you might be able to 
figure out what it was like yeah. looking at an old Nintendo character. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, a oh, I think that's somebody I know, but I'm not exactly like sure. A half <laughs> megapixel. I know yeah. it was <laughs> so bad. Awesome. And I remember when I remember seeing this picture on this phone and I said to people that, I, and mind you, I worked at AT&T, which makes us even better. But I, I remember telling people, oh my God, the general public is never going to take pictures from their phone. This is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Man, did I get that one right, yeah, didn't I? Yeah. You know, yeah. but so I, I completely understand people kind of dismissing it. But once it started to become more prolific, I think that the news in, in traditional media outlets failed to be responsive and failed to pivot and, and figure out different ways. How many of them just ran themselves into the ground? Papers just ran themselves right. all the way into the ground without right. making and, changes. Well, what I was mentioning, what I call these changes setting off a death spiral. What I mean by that is this. So you post your content for free. Fewer people are willing to pay for it and or you're tipping off your competition so then people can get the same stuff from another source very easily. Then as a result, people, fewer people willing to pay, maybe they're quitting their subscriptions. You have lower revenue. That leads to you cutting your staff. I survived five rounds of layoffs at my last paper before I finally left because I saw the layoff train headed my direction and I wasn't about to remain lying on the tracks, allow the train to hit me, you know. So you cut your staff. Then guess what happens? The quality deteriorates. Then a few more subscribers are canceling. Then there's even lower revenue and more layoffs. And so it goes. And um Inter intertwined with all of this is a major event that a lot of people don't realize when you come to think about print journalism, and that is Craigslist. Think about when you were a little kid. Do you remember you would have the Sunday paper and there would be page after page of classified ads? Oh, yeah. Those are dollar signs, my friends. Oh. And when those when Craigslist came along, it was like a thousand voices scree screeched out in the universe and then were silenced, basically like the old Star Wars thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that that revenue was gone forever and right. more layoffs. So then advertisers stopped paying for the printed supplements, more layoffs. It was just, again, a death spiral. And it just it was heartbreaking to me to see these things happening where. There was a whole group of people that their whole job was to edit the copy and check facts. The copy desk, they called it. Um, shortly before I left my last newspaper job, the copy desk was eliminated. Mm. Eliminated. Gone. Right. So the fact checking that was happening internally and backstopping for, you know, where's the rest of this story and spelling people's names incorrectly and, you know, basic stuff. Yeah. So, and then experienced reporters and mentors were also gone, just gone. So you end up with a lot of young people who didn't have anybody like I had, like a great, like you were mentioning, Hey, how many, you know, really good editors. I mean, I had great editors that guided me when I first started in the business that, you know, or, you know, older reporters who were, you know, died in the wool and I was learning from them. And so we don't have as many experienced reporters to kind of show the young pups, the ropes, the quality work goes down. Um, 
The ability to spend time on long-term investigative projects is gone. Um, your ability to, again, critically think and evaluate is gone under this pressure to get be first, get it out there. And right. you're understaffed, by the way. <laughs> so, and then there becomes this whole desperation to get readers' attention and the clickbait and the sensationalism. So you see it's all this big ball of wax death spiral is the best way I can describe it. Well, and I think that I think the other thing too is that you know that that death spiral and the fact that things were changing. I think one of the biggest issues for media in general is that there wasn't enough innovation. There wasn't the recognition that the the sand is shifting underneath your feet. You know, cuz I remember there was that time when when the internet started to proliferate and there was this debate, you know, Oh, newspaper's going to last forever. People want something to hold in their hands. And then there's other like, no, they're, they're going to get their news on, on a screen. And there was really divisive, you know, thoughts on both sides. But that was the time for, you know, innovation and thinking outside the box. You know, Craigslist wouldn't have existed if a media company would have thought of Craigslist. You know, there could have been consolidation on a national level with all these fragmented local newspapers, and, and it didn't happen. I remember I – I just made the uh, comment about wireless. I remember when the iPhone came out, and, I, oh, man, I will never forget this. I had a, a guy. He was a senior executive at BlackBerry. Remember BlackBerry? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, you yep. you got to think back because uh, the kids these days don't even know what the hell it is. I, uh, I, I loved this guy. He was a great guy. And he's like, he's sitting there telling me, he's like, man, nobody's ever going to use a screen as a keyboard. That's our secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, you don't, the, the thing's never going to take off. And I'm like, bro, I have used it and it's freaking amazing. Right. Like, it's not like the old Microsoft, you know, tries at doing a smartphone. Like the, the keyboard mm-hmm. on an iPhone is this is the future, dude. This is amazing. No, people are never, ever going to abandon the physical keyboard on a smartphone. So I have we're here to, well, we're here to stay. Phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, and a little slider. Well, it's like we were beating them over the yeah. head with, dude, it's so good, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't get out of their own world. Right. Well, who could, I mean, when this first started, news, newspapers started to go down. It's like, who knew about the, the revenue model? Like, you know, if, hey, we can post this news article on the on the internet for free, yeah. but if we get five thousand clicks, we can sell ads on both sides of the screen for this much. You well, know? how many times have you been reading yeah. a news article from the paper online, and you get like three paragraphs into it, and they're and like, it pops up. Oh, you want to read the rest? Please subscribe. And I'm like, no, I'll just go to a different source, yeah. and it'll be similar. I know. I, I hate that, but so that's like, why I I only read the Onion because everything they write on there is true. <laughs> Such great journalism. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funniest stuff. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to beat up on, on the media or journalism industry, but I think my point Janice is that there wasn't the innovation. There wasn't the for the, the forward thinking to know what was coming and to adapt before it decimated business models. I absolutely agree with you because, like I said, in looking back, how important that question was at the meeting when that person said, why are we doing this for free? And the question was blown off. And I'm quite certain that that similar conversations were happening across the country at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. They were too close you know, to the keyboard. 
Nobody's well, going to use you know, a screen. Well, I mean, I understand where she's getting it. The, the whole point is, as you said, when you were going through it, when you were younger, and I think you used the word, a, a cub. You were a cub, cub reporter. Cub <laughs> reporter. Um, that you had your you had your editors, you had your copy desk, you had everything else, and you had experienced journalists who were basically helping you, teaching you the ropes and everything. And now those people are no longer there and they're harder to find. So the young people are coming into journalism don't have that type of wisdom and experience to learn from anymore. And part of it is because it's happening too fast. And at the same time, the few reporter, every newspaper, every media organization is pretty much understaffed. For example, by the time I decided I absolutely had to get out of the news business, you know, I was, I was literally covering nine counties by myself. Now, how can you do any kind of in-depth reporting when you're responsible for nine counties and listening to a bank of like 12 scanners and hoping to God that you figure out whether this report over here of a fire is actually overblown or whether you should run to that fire or whether this triple shooting over here is just three people stubbing their toes. I mean, it, it was, yeah. and then, you know, I would do a quick web up, just Janice, do a quick web update with what you're hearing from the scanner. We used to never report anything just based on the scanner because without verifying it, because it, it was so really accurate. Sure. And, um, we just started saying, well, according to the police scanner, and this story will be updated when more information is available. Well, guess what? No information ever became available because I was on to the next three things that came across the scanner. So my job satisfaction was in the toilet because I was always known for being pretty thorough, like really at an innate curiosity that really drove me. And I think that a lot of journalists do, but I was probably worse than most in that way. I just couldn't stop asking the questions and I would tend to write long and my, my editors would always say, God, Janice, what are you trying to do? Write a book. And now I joke <laughs> and say, well, apparently I was, cause now I have written two books. So, <laughs> um, but it, it's, it, how do you do any kind of quality journalism under that kind of pressure and instant news pressure? I mean, so I wanted to throw that in there as a major reason. And another thing, I, I have to blame consumers a little bit, that they are so inundated with information that they don't think critically about what they're hearing or seeing. And I feel like they have lost the ability to discern between opinion and fact. And reporters are doing the same thing, too. And you, in the meantime, you have all these other like interest groups, special interest groups and politicians that are put in spin. And you got these busy reporters who just put out what they are led to believe, maybe. Um, you've got pranksters who put out fake news on purpose, like just regular Joe Schmo. Ha ha. What if I send out this fake thing and get everybody to click on it? You know, um, well, Janice, and then there's go ahead. That, that brings me to something that I want to ask you about. Yeah. That, that, you know, kind of fast forwarding to present day. One of the things yeah. that I've seen over and over again is that you'll have some outlet run a story where a quote unquote unnamed source says some things and they run that story. And then it's like every other outlet copies and pastes the story. And I just ask myself, I didn't go to school for journalism, so I have no idea what, what, 
people are taught. But I got to tell you that from an outsider looking in, that seems like there are zero journalistic ethics that that take place when you're just copy and pasting stories with unnamed sources and unverified things as though it's fact. Right. Well, let me tell you what the guidance used to be. So when I was in the news business regularly, um, we were always told that we should never quote other media unless you have no other way to get this point across. And if you do, you have to recognize that if what they're reporting is false and possibly libelous, that you are putting your newspaper on the hook for that. And so we would always say, according to such and such, like, this TV station was reporting this, but we were unable to reach this person. Um, so that's the only way we would ever do it. And I found it quite interesting that just yesterday it came across that the New York Post is now going to be barred by the management of the paper from using the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN. There were several other ones uh, they're not allowed to use those primary sources anymore. I had to laugh and go. That's all. They should never have been allowed. Use them as their primary sources. Wow. <laughs> they should never have been allowed. And then I ask that. myself, why is that news? Because right. it's so <laughs> stupid to begin Cause with. Because it's, it's actual ethics. I know. That's <laughs> the point, Mr. Witty. I just thought that was crazy. It is. It's wow. totally crazy. Why don't you just go, you know, Wikipedia? Go get all your facts from a Wikipedia. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there That's you go. Nice. So, Janice, in present day, I'm I'm just I am literally shocked. And one of the biggest examples that has just got me really, really concerned about where we're going is what has happened since the COVID outbreak. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, God is right. I think she's going to hang up on us. I mean, it it is it is insane to me. First of all, everybody should have questioned what was going on in the beginning when the media just was absolutely hyperventilating. Every second of every day was COVID, COVID, COVID. And it's like you'd see what was going on on the news and then you'd look out the front door and go, uh, this doesn't seem to make sense. But I was, I was really skeptical from the very beginning of the handling. And I think most people now that we've gotten to this point are really frustrated because they don't know, they don't know where the truth is. And I think this is a great example of how insane this has gotten, how far off the rails we have come with media and trying to figure out where where do you find the truth? Who is the arbiter of truth? You know, it, it, it's absolutely exhausting because because the media reporters aren't doing the job that we used to rely upon them to do to seek out the truth and to find not just side A and side B, but also side C, side D, all the sides of the story. We as cons- news consumers now If we care about a topic and you really care about finding out the truth for yourself, you have to spend all this time digging and going for perhaps uh, a a news outlet that, you know, leans right. But then at the same time, you might want to see what the other outlet that really leans left is doing. And, And maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. And the sad part is that 
I have seen reports that, for example, the efficacy of masks. This is a huge issue. Think about how many times on your own social media people are like, just wear a damn mask. And they act like it's not harmful, but maybe it is. We don't, you know, the studies that are coming out that show something that doesn't fit the just wear a mask mandate um, are being suppressed, even when there's peer-reviewed studies. And that's not right. Those studies, if they are done properly, need to be out in the public conversation, not just shoved aside because it doesn't fit what Dr. Fauci is saying right now. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, Dr. Fauci started off saying, if you remember, oh, there's no need for the public to wear masks. And that changed to, you got to wear a mask. And I, I don't think people would have started to feel so distrustful of what we're being told if there had been more of a disclaimer like, this is so new, we really don't know. And there was some of that, but to me, it wasn't emphasized enough that we're not sure whether this would help, but perhaps, or, you know, now we're being told that it absolutely does, but then I've seen things to the contrary. I've actually seen, have you seen the reports indicating that back during the Spanish flu, a lot of people developed bacterial pneumonia? Yes. From wearing masks? Yes. So again, you oh, know, it's, it's weighing the risk, it's finding the information, but we're not being told in any one place any one reliable place, this information, it's sad. Well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a great example because there is so much to unpack. And we've actually done a couple of episodes on, on COVID. We just did one on the COVID relief bill, which was really shocking when we started to dig into to what was there. But here's a, here's a perfect example because this is one that everybody will remember. So there was a story that, you know, Trump told people to inject themselves with bleach. And oh I listened to the speech. The whole thing. I listened to the whole thing in context, and that is not at all what he said. He was referencing a um, a trial that was actually happening from I, – I don't remember the company that was doing it, but he was referencing like maybe there's a way to – what was the word he used? Disinfect from inside the body. Yeah. And all of a sudden – Every major news outlet is, well, you know, Trump said that we should inject ourselves with bleach. And to this day, they're still saying that. And it's a complete and utter lie. I don't care if you are a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter. It's a total lie. It did not. That is not what he said. And it's out there in the public square. You can go look it up. But yet so many people did not see that video. And these media outlets are getting away with a flat out lie and there's no accountability well, what is it and it drives me nuts we tell people there is no the accountability and, go and, and for check example in research i'm sorry we always tell people darren's every, interrupting you because he's oh. a jerk but you, I'll, let me work on him for a minute <laughs> no no, ahead, Dar- no what he, he was actually making a really good point please darren continue is we always tell people when we bring up a subject like that we don't tell them this is what we feel or think or see out there or read go check the facts yourself Right. We always tell people, don't believe us, we're idiots. Yeah, don't believe us. but (laughs) And don't check just the major news sources. Go find those ones that are out on the fringe. Go find the ones that are uh, on the other side of the ocean, Um, you know, wherever else it might be. And use your brain and dig a little bit more before you go spouting off at the mouth. Exactly. And 
I've got to say part of the problem is, again, we're all so inundated that we don't know what's true. And sometimes, you know how it is, people will read just the headline and they'll like, oh, oh that's shocking. My friends need to know. I'll share this on Facebook right now. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and then you come to find out that later that's not exactly true or that the headline was misleading. Uh, interestingly, what, what I would like to share is that uh, the good news is there are, thankfully, some really good in my opinion, independent reporters who are still doing what I would consider to be solid journalism. One of them is Cheryl Atkinson. Do you know who that is? Yes, and I'm I'm actually really excited to read her book. I have it. And um, it's called Slanted is her, her latest book. And yep. so Cheryl is not paying me for this ad, but, <laughs> but, she but I should. She I mean, come on. Plug. But, um, <laughs> I'm reading it her. right now. And it's interesting because in many ways. But one of the things I just read today, I'm about in the middle of the book. But it talks about even did you realize this? I did not realize this. The term fake news actually did not originate with Trump. Yeah, I I did know that, but I don't know where it originated. Nixon. Well, it, it originated with something uh, – I'll have to look again at the book, but something connected to Google. And then Obama brought it up and talked about curating. I remember that word curating started to mm-hmm. uh, uh, become popular, popularly used to basically say that the general public can't figure out what the truth is. So we need to tell, you know, have the arbiters of truth, to use your terminology, uh, out there. And, and so – but she said – Trump actually, it used to apply to conservative news outlets. It was used against conservative news to say that was fake. But Trump used it better. So now it's used to refer to liberal news outlets. So awesome. he did it better, I think Cheryl said. And you know, he, he, used, he just co-opted that term much more effectively than the other side was using. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. But um, so Cheryl does an amazing job. And what is actually breathtaking is she has compiled over 100. I don't remember how many there are, but I would strongly encourage anybody to go to her website it's, and look up the lessons from the media mistakes in the Trump era. There are the, the laundry list is breathtaking of small things and big things. Um, one of the small things that is absolutely was absolutely false. Remember when they said that he removed the bus from MLK from the, I think it was the Oval Office? Yes. Yep. And that was not true. They had to retract that. Of course. So she has a whole list of, it's just flat out proven to be untrue. Um, but yet, it's interesting, things will now be routinely labeled as baseless or uh, without evidence or debunked, that's one of their favorite terms to be used now, without actual investigation. It gets labeled that way in the mainstream press. Yeah, it's it's so here's a, a really great example that recently is the the election. You know, there was a lot of um, irregularities to say it nicely with 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 the election in, you know, as a conservative, I've said on the show before that it, you know my my political beliefs are are conservative, and I'm fine with that. And if you you think otherwise, I don't hate you. You're not a bad person, <laughs> and you don't need to hate me either because I'm a great person. I'm very good, frankly. I'm very, <laughs> very I'm a stable genius, Mister Witty. <laughs> but it, it, I I really struggle because we've gotten to this point where we're so divided. And 
it almost, I, I need, I'm, I'm going to back up totally with where I'm going with this train of thought. I'm, I'm frustrated because we're in this place where we're divided, right? And yep. we, we can't even start from a position of having a, a constructive conversation because I don't know what happened with the election. I don't know if, if there was fraud or not. I have my opinions, but I don't know. And if there was, I don't know if that fraud is enough to have changed the outcome of the election. I really don't know. There's no way for me to know. And for anybody to sit there and say that I know that there was or I know that there wasn't, you're full of it. But what I did see was a lot of evidence that made me go, you know what? We probably should be looking into this big time because there are things that don't make sense. And we spent two years in taxpayer money trying to figure out if that happened when Trump got elected. You know, I try not to put much anything that's sort of quasi-political or whatever on my own Facebook or whatever. Um, what, you but, don't like being abused? You don't like being <laughs> banned? Mm. A couple you of times I, I ventured into that Embrace the world. shadow ban. <laughs> I ventured in that world and I get slapped around just for raising the questions or, or pointing out facts. For example, sure. coronavirus. I put a pie chart on my Facebook page. And I said uh, it showed how many deaths in the state of Ohio where I live were attributable to coronavirus versus all other causes. And at that time, I think that the slice of the pie chart uh, occupied by the coronavirus was maybe, I think, uh, 3% or something very small. And I just said, context matters. I really feel that the public health officials missed a major opportunity to address all these other things that are preventable. Sure. And, you know, getting people to exercise, to pay attention to their diet, you know, reinforcing a lot of that, and which actually is also possibly uh, preventative for coronavirus because there's are, there are strong correlations between obesity and bad outcomes with coronavirus. But I got attacked. I was called a science denier by some people for posting a pie chart mm-hmm. and was wow. defriended, thank you, by some people <laughs> for posting that. And <laughs> the other day, I was decrying the fact that so many people were deplatformed by Twitter, not just President Trump, but 4.5 million people or so is the estimate I saw. And, and there's going to be a lot more. 4.5 million people lost their Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. That is what I saw. I don't know if that's a solid number, so that's a little bit of a disclaimer, but I said, you know. Uh, I think in my headline on it was something like free speech is dying in America. And I said it, it was really troubling to me that these many people were kicked off of Twitter. And um, I had a, a link to an article that said Antifa was allowed to make violent threats and things like that. But then Trump was not allowed to make events, uh, statements that were just interpreted that way. I had a former editor who worked with me 30 years ago say, shame on you, Janice, for posting that. Shame on me. I said, shame on me for what? For standing up for free speech? I'm actually proud of that. Do you know when I tried to tag him in that response? What the hell's wrong with people? His name wouldn't come up and I was defriended, defriended for just standing up for free speech. What in the heck is wrong with people? They have become extremists themselves. That's That's why 
Parlor is going to do so well now. Isn't that what it, it is? Parlor? If uh, they can ever get it back online. My, my definition oh. of an extremist is partly this. Someone who is unwilling or unable to even consider that there's another viewpoint. Yeah, I think or that that's... Or a question. It, it's absolutely crazy. I... So it's, before we get difficult. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to get into. Like I want to get into the parlor thing, talk about Twitter. There's a couple of that's where this conversation's going and the big takeaway for people, especially as it relates to their business. But I do want to go back to COVID for a minute. Okay. Because there's so much fuckery going on with co- <laughs> that's the only word I can come up with. Going on with COVID. Shenanigans. No, it's fuckery. It's not. Tomfoolery? No, it's not. It's definitely not either of those. <laughs> I'll give you the, this. This is a great example. It's not just what people are saying, but it's what they're omitting. So back, this was what, three months ago, guys, when the CDC um, updated their report on COVID deaths and they, they gave the actual deaths by COVID versus the comorbidities. Mm-hmm. You remember that? How long ago was it? That was... About three months ago. You and I were just talking about this last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. Well, Janice, I don't know that you remember this. Um, Maybe you dug into it like me. I was like a, I don't know, I was like a conspiracy theorist foil hat in my basement, like digging into the details. But but the CDC um, released a report when the death toll was about 190,000. And they broke out the deaths from COVID versus deaths with COVID. Yes, I do remember that, but only vaguely. I just remember that that report happened and that it was kind of shocking. (laughs) It was, it should have been the biggest news story of the year of the decade. Honestly, it should have been. And nobody talked about it. Not even what you would consider your conservative, um, you know, outlets like Fox News and Newsmax. Like they... Covered it for a second and then it was gone. And I literally think it was it. one of the biggest news stories of the century. Where are they going to get their advertising dollars from? Because here's the thing. This gave the detail of all these COVID deaths that have been, you know, was up to 190,000 at that point, And only 6,000 and change were from COVID. And all they had all these other comorbidities. And there were things like, you know, heart attack you know, heart disease as a comorbidity. It's like, okay, viruses don't cause heart disease and accelerate in one week from, you know, my, my arteries are fine to oh, clogged and I've got a heart attack and I die. It, do, right. it, it doesn't do that. Furthermore, when you, when you really dug deep, and this is still out there on the CDC's website, which is what blows my mind. Do you know what one of the comorbidities is, guys? Suicide. Oh. <clears throat> Suicide is a comorbidity. And so they were like, well, but they, but we think we had COVID. So it's a death with COVID and therefore it gets caught. Oh, and the money comes along with it, right? Don't they get paid extra? Uh Oh my God. So, so Janice, here's my point in this. I I talked to so many people when that thing came out and they're like, oh, that's bullshit. There's no fucking way that that's true. It's like, (laughs) hold on, hold on. I'd pull my phone out, go to the CDC's website. I had the page tagged. It's like, look at that. And I would show them on cdc.gov. They still don't believe it. C- no! I'm like, what the f- is wrong with okay. you? It's so right gonna- here on the government's website. No, I don't believe it. So we're going to take Jake what? off his little yeah. soapbox here in a minute. I- but yeah, no, we brought that up. I know what we were talking about last week or the week before was cold and flu. Yes. And CDC and cold and flu. And they're like, 
it's all in the green right now when it should be in the red, <laughs> but COVID. Oh. No flu anymore. Yay. So we, yeah, said, we, we cured, cured it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys. Quick question. Way to go. And this is getting off his it's topic. It's got to be the masks. <laughs> Janice, what? <laughs> I mean, if. Miracle masks. Sorry. <laughs> anything like if you're reading news, are there any like key indicators that somebody would, that would, you'd go, okay, this is a key indicator that I'm seeing. This has got to be fake or not quite so much the truth. I mean, in your journalistic, with your journalistic experience, are there anything out there that you're like, look, Pinocchio is telling another story. Well, when I read any article that doesn't have an opposing viewpoint, I worry about it. Mm-hmm. I worry about what I'm not being told that that is the easy way to put it. If, if, for example, um, what happened last week at the Capitol is, is to me a really good example. Um, people, some people looked at Trump's speech and they felt like parts of it uh, sounded like he was inciting violence. Uh, and those parts were quoted widely, but yet. You mean the part where he said patriotic Americans? Uh-huh. That's the part I'm about to get to. But yeah, they, those news reports were – it was rare to see news reports make reference to – here's how I would cover Trump's speech if I had been assigned. I would have said, here is what President Donald Trump said prior to this thing that happened at the Capitol. And some people looked at this part of the speech and they cited these passages as examples of things that they think may have – ignited the violence. However, there were these other parts of the speech that people said, look, he said patriotically and peacefully, we will march to the Capitol, something to that effect. But those, the word peacefully and patriotically, that phrase was in there. But you don't see that. It doesn't mm-hmm. fit the quote unquote narrative that he incited the violence. And now we're coming out with them. They've done some very good work on the timelines, very detailed timelines that are coming out from sources that you wouldn't suspect. Where is the balance? Where is the person saying, Hey, I didn't see his speech that way. Or, you know, other people say, yes, I see the speech that way. But no, you don't have that other side where people interpreted it differently. And I have a problem with that. John, well, it's, it's not on, just the speech. John had a question there. You no, know, no. So I was just saying that the, with the, with the timelines. Yeah. From even from sources you wouldn't suspect, like, you know, the New York times and the Washington post. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and they, it was, it's not just Trump's speech. It's the whole narrative of storming the Capitol building. Like I've seen video where the Capitol police are like, come on in. You know, it's and a, people are strolling <laughs> through the hallways. They're but, not running like not, but, but not only that, the timelines put, people breaking into the Capitol before the 30 speech. minutes before he's finished or 20 minutes before he's even finished the speech. Yeah. And it, and it's a it's 40 not longer f- before that. Yeah. I've seen several different yeah. timelines. So, right. you know, again, see and the other part that happened there, in my opinion, that was, was really bad journalism is they just assumed that it was Trump supporters. They didn't realize that Personally, here's what I think happened. I do think that there were outside agitators who ginned up certain extremists. Um, and there was no, there were some maybe actual Trump supporters who got sucked into it. But for a lot of the people there that were causing the problems and destroying property, those people were actually wearing Trump gear like a costume. I mean, sure, of course. Listen, it, there is uh-huh. undoubtedly. No, he's already, there's already been one charged. 
There, yes, exactly. No, but I know I, who it is. Here's, yeah. here's John my point. Sullivan is his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Un- undoubtedly, there were Trump supporters in that group doing stupid shit. And yeah. undoubtedly, there were Antifa members, left-wing radicals, doing the same Antagonizing. thing. Antagonizing. And they were both, as Jana said early in the conversation, fringe, crazies, idiots. Okay? But let's go back. Th- throughout the year, There's there's been riots. There's been confrontation and violence. And I ask you a question, and I ask everybody listening, be honest with yourself. You're on social media. Are you surprised? I mean, seriously, no. look at the it, level it, of dialogue in vitriol and hate. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. This is, It's coming from every direction. But you know what's so sad, too, is what people have come to expect in terms of reporting. Uh, a local reporter here in the Cincinnati area posted on her Facebook page that her assignment was to find people who attended the event in Washington, D.C., and hear their stories. And a lot of those people just said, hey, I didn't even know there was any violence where I was. I didn't see anything like that. And she was receiving horrible message from people criticizing her for telling that part of the story, which wasn't being told at all. So you have like hundreds of thousands of people there. And certainly some of those people have a different story to tell than the very visual, horrible images of terrible things going on inside the Capitol. But we, yet it doesn't fit what you want to think. Of course. So not. we had that happen here last, that. last summer when people were marching. Uh, you know, Atlanta was one thing. But right. then down in our area, south of Atlanta, they had a march, very peaceful. People walked. They did their, I think they got too tired before they got to the end is why, and it was hot. But um <laughs> You know, it was a peaceful march. There were no instigator. The nice thing was yeah. there weren't those there weren't those fringe agitators there to cause a scene, and they did it correctly within their constitutional rights. Antifa was still hiring. They had <laughs> they, they didn't have enough staff. Yeah, they, were still, they were a few counties away where they needed. Them. Okay, but so seriously, what is wrong with people that they can't allow a news reporter to do her job, which is to get that other part of the story, mm-hmm. and that I can't be allowed to put on Facebook that I'm worried about free speech dying? Right. Well, I'm that's, being told to be. I should be ashamed of that. What? This is some kind of bizarro world with like alternate reality. I don't understand mm-hmm. it. I really don't. I'd well, be given somebody two different types of voting ballots, if they went to the box, so they could. Oh, never mind. Forget oh. it. Yeah, that would never happen. So, Janice, this is kind of bringing me to where I wanted to take this conversation today. So, you can't trust the news, which I think if if you that's, that's a blanket statement. You can trust the news. You just have to do your due diligence. Due diligence, and Janice has even said that eternal it's vigilance is the price of freedom. Right? What the hell are you guys? Thank you. Are you guys high? Thank you. No, we're trying to speak from a because nice, they're, we're just saying there's good, still okay, good journalism. We're grounded. There are, there, that's a fair statement. So just don't believe I, anything. I gotta pull in Stand corrected. Got to pull in those reins. I will give them a. There's point a difference. There. If I say something, <laughs> you know it's full of shit. Full of shit. If Mr. Winnie says something, <laughs> you know it's there's probably truth behind it. So right. there, yeah, there's, there's a difference. There's that. Go check when your you sources. When you ask whether we were high, though. I think the correct answer to that is Dave's not here, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Remember that Dave, don't hear me. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> okay, so fair point, guys. There's some fair journalists out there. But I think in aggregate, we've reached this point where you, you – sh- it's why we say all the time, Darren, on the show, don't believe us. Go do your homework because we're trying to foster critical thinking, which the media Maybe. doesn't want you to do. Okay? And, and that's a problem. And then you layer on top of that now the power of social media because a lot of people have supplemented or, or supplanted, I guess is the better word, their source of information from the media to social media, which is no better. And so this is where I wanted to get to as it relates to business. Okay. So we, it, within the last week and a half, if you have not been following, there's been this saga on Parler which actually Mr. Winnie told me about because I've been trying to disconnect so much. I'd, he's yeah. like, have you seen what's going on with Parler? I'm like, no, I'm living in ignorant bliss. What's going on? And then, of course, I got up to speed. I didn't even know what Parler was until he told me. Right. And then our so for the same thing. Le, le, Mr. Winnie, give our listeners the, the quick 30,000-foot view of Parler and what's happened. Parler is the, the alternative to uh, Twitter, really. And or Facebook. And or, well, it's not really... Ish. I don't know. They got shut down before. They're both, really- they're both <laughs> steaming <laughs> piles of social. Right. But, the, but, <laughs> but Parler's problem was it didn't um, edit. They let well, it. They didn't. But, but go further back. So they were this alternative, right? Sure. What was the Been difference there. between Parler and Twitter slash Facebook? And Reddit? I just, I just, just told you. It. What? Didn't. There's no editing. Yeah. It was actually free speech. No, That's they, what I'm They let for. everybody yeah. voice their opinions and they didn't close any accounts unless it violated their terms and conditions. Except mine. Right. So they did have T's and C's. Yes, of course. Yeah. So what happened is it started with, with Apple, right? So take us through the chronology of events. Well, I don't know the exact chronology. You're putting me on the spot here. No. We'll fact check you after. There were, there were, there were some posts, there were some posts on, on uh, parlor mm-hmm. that threatened the lives of, I think the vice president mm-hmm. and other certain members of Cong- the House or Senate. That's yep. Extreme. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I believe it started with Apple. And they weren't taken down quickly enough, I guess. They were taken down. They were taken down. But uh, Apple said, nope. We're Not take, fast we, enough. Yeah, we're going to take you off our app store. So if you have an iPhone, now you can no longer download the app. Yes. Really? And then that carried on to Google, took them off the Google Play Store. And then Amazon, Amazon Web Services, who runs their servers, said, you know, we're just going to turn you off at midnight tonight. Wow. And that was last week. And this is, a, I don't know what their, their market cap was, but it was a big, yeah, a big company. Well-funded. So big, you and I never even heard of it. Tens of millions yeah, really? of users wow. and growing rapidly. Sure. Cow. Yeah. And just shut off shut with a flip down. Of well, Reddit's got to be happy. And then, the, and yeah, then the Ayatollah Khomeini or whoever and, has these Twitter accounts where they've, you know. And there was so one of the, the um, founding investors on, on uh, Parler was on the radio and he came out because, but you won't hear this in the media, that those exact same posts were found on Twitter and on Facebook. Really? Yes. And they, yes, they exactly. let them go. They sure. were okay. They didn't shut them down for that. Right. But- Parlor, so. But all three platforms removed the posts. Correct. And the whole thing was, it's like, oh, well, but they didn't like the response from Parler. It's like, but the, the, they took it down. And furthermore, 
Well, and also the media, they took one image from some obscure neo-Nazi dude on parlor or whatever, and, you know, had picture of a flag with a swastika or whatever and say, yep, this is why we're taking parlor down. And I'm sure you'd never find something like that on Facebook ever, right? <laughs> ever. I mean, give me a break. So they, hmm. here's, this scares the That's shit weird. out of me because with, with a just snap of a finger, this company has essentially been shut down, Janice. Yeah. And it's and it's unclear whether or not they'll be able to open because what happened is the power of these big tech companies is so scary that now the other companies that could host their website don't want to touch Parler because they're like, well, you know, I've got yeah. ties to Apple and, and Google and, to and Amazon and I don't want to be shut down. Political and, affiliations. Right. Right behind it. Big right. lobbyists yeah. behind those. <laughs> right. Right there, not Parler. That really freaked me out about Amazon. Web services like they can shut somebody time. off, just who, you like know, who, that. And this is really going down the rabbit hole here. But who else is a customer of Amazon Web Services? They're like the one of the largest, if not the largest, right? AWS, the CIA. They are the largest. How about yeah, yeah, the Department of Defense? Data Services. Department of Defense. Sure. CIA. That's mm-hmm. where they their their cloud computing, all sure. their storage, it's all out there. That's spooky, man. It really is. What if what if Amazon gets mad at the government one time and just says, "Yeah, we're just going to shut, shut it you down." Off. Oh, but we've still got all the data. <laughs> what the it's heck ours. Is that? <laughs> Why would we set up our own data centers internally? With you know, totally bizarre, especially with highly classified information. Why wouldn't we keep that contained? We'll just let AWS handle it for us. But Janice, yeah. all of this was started <laughs> with. Is like, oh, this is getting crazy. Well, the no, thing but- is, if you actually, it's kind of like going to Vegas. You know, they tell you when you play slot machines, if you do it with a certain combination, you'll hit the jackpot. So if you order certain products on Amazon. Did the guy Amazon, that tell you that, was he wearing a $50,000 no. Rolex? No, but listen, if you, <laughs> I was watching Ocean's 12 or Ocean's 13. So it's got to be true. Got, but it used to have, they used to actually have that. But I'm like, if you order a certain combination of products on Amazon, then you get the backdoor key into AWS <laughs> this classified. Never mind. Get it. Anyway, it's okay. a bad joke. Sorry, yeah, so Janice. Janice yes. Getting back to the point here. Sorry, we've really okay. went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> it, the, it's the whole thing was predicated on a narrative, a false narrative about Parler, but it in the snap of a finger within forty eight hours, a a company went from controversial to shut down and it is unclear if they're going to reopen millions and millions of dollars have been invested tens of millions of customers using their platform loving and enjoying it and then bang it's gone yeah Uh, that's absolutely chilling and i don't care if people hate what what parlor stood for or allowed or whatever it's not right to squelch free speech. Even hate speech has been upheld as being okay in this country. We live in a country where free speech is one of the bedrocks of our society. And it just really is chilling because this I, I've seen this out there and maybe people think this is an extreme viewpoint, but I think this these are the seeds of what could lead to a totalitarian, you must think this way, Orwellian or totalitarian regime. Well, we, if you don't think this way, if you don't act this way, if you say something bad against masks or coronavirus vaccine or whatever, look at how many anti-coronavirus vaccine posts have been removed just because yes. someone says, I am afraid of this. 
Yes, it's crazy. And I mean, a lot of those people are doctors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, are they uh, not allowed to be afraid? I don't care if they're a doctor or not. Aren't you allowed to say I'm afraid of this and have a discussion with maybe people will come out with information that will change your mind. Hey, yeah. Yeah. They pull it down too fast. It's like that one, that article that you were telling me about down in Florida about that lab. Oh yeah. percent positive COVID tests yep. and you couldn't find it anywhere after like the first day that it was put out to the news. It, I think it was Fox that. five Orlando that broke yeah. the story. I saw that. Yeah. And it should have been national news. Never made it to that point. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. But th- going back to this whole, this whole parlor well, thing, the reason Dave w- went, what's that? And we know where Dave went. Dave's <laughs> not here. Dave was the one in charge of that lab. Not here, man. <laughs> yeah, what? Go, going back to this whole parlor thing, the, the reason why this is so chilling Janice is because the whole thing's predicated on a narrative, a narrative that's not true. Nothing really separated Parler from Twitter and Facebook because they all had these posts. They all removed them. But the difference is that the tech overlords didn't like the. Um, yeah, well, Parler was conservative the, and heavy. Call it the value proposition. <laughs> of yeah. parlor, right? Mm-hmm. And they're right. and they are a legitimate threat to Twitter and to Facebook because so many people and they know it because they're seeing people post on their own platforms how disenchanted they are with the platform. Mm-hmm. So they know alternatives are a threat. They know that. And yet they were able to so easily and so non um no recourse. No recourse. Right. Non-controversial. Cavalierly. And and it was non-controversial for them to remove a company, Mm -hmm. erase it. Just boom. Wow. Wow. That is. Well, I don't know if I agree that it was non-controversial because I think that there are a lot of people who, um, I I saw something somewhere that talked about how many billions of dollars that, that Twitter has lost now. And I think some of it is of their own doing from the standpoint that they, they zaff people from their platform, but other people have left in protest and they've gone to these other fledgling services such as Telegram, Telegram, and uh, Signal, I think, are a couple. Signal I've heard of just the other day. My mom sends me a thing. Get the Signal app. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You you know Signal, but you never heard of Parler. I don't know what Signal is until my mother sent me the little, a text with it. Darren lives under a rock at Lime Creek Brewery. I mean, I got to go home and feed my pigeons. So my homing pigeon. I have have a totally different question for you. Yeah. But, well, you were a crime reporter. Yeah. And so we're talking about suppressing information. And I'm sure you followed a lot of stories that you reported on all the way through the court system when they went to trial and everything else. How infuriating was it when you knew that some key facts were suppressed from the jurors in that court case that could have overturned that <clears throat> case and made it go the opposite way? This could be a whole separate conversation. Okay. Well, we won't have it as a whole. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a comparison where you saw this in the court system and we're seeing it in the news. It, it really caused me to feel I, I understand there has to be some rules. Like, for example, in rape cases, you know, they used to bring up uh, 
you know, the, the woman's history of, of hanging out with men, blah, 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 and make it look like that, you know, she brought this situation on herself, right? Like Jodie Foster in that um, movie. <laughs> and I understand that that type of, of evidence probably should not be allowed, but. Shame on her. She was beautiful. Bitch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shoveling too much skin. But. Okay. Uh, so I get that there needs to be some rules, but what I call mm-hmm. the legal gamesmanship, right. where they lose sight of trying to find the truth, that really, really is disturbing. And it, it really ends up being, unfortunately, a lot of times that information that would help the jury, in my view, it does end up being suppressed. And it, it, it when I saw that happen in a couple of different cases, including the one that I wrote a book about, it, 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 it kind of just shattered my view of what I thought the justice system mm-hmm. should be in this country. And I found out that it doesn't always work the way people think. I do still think that most times that, that the right result happens. I want to believe that. But when it goes sideways, it's it's hard to correct it. Well, yeah. let's let's go back to the whole parlor thing because this is really important and this is where I wanted people to understand the linkage between what's going on with news media, social media and your business. Because so parlor got shut down. But let's take this down to a smaller level. Okay? Level. Good beer. I'm doing good beer. And <laughs> saying wordly things. <laughs> yes, it's very good beer. Slur- it's got me tongue twisted. Um Let's take this down to a smaller level, right? Beer and business. Right now, as as we speak, something is going on in our social media. We are not in anybody's feeds. I've checked on, with so on many one people. One social media site. And we'll we'll name we, we well, won't name any and, names and or we faces. We were also told that part of it was because <laughs> we used a certain five letter phrase. Well, whatever the hell it is. My point that's is why the post didn't go. That's why. Here's where I'm going with this, Janice. I, we're not showing up in feeds. Um, I think unless you search directly for us, you're not going to find us. Mm-hmm. And that is by design because we've talked about some things that the uh, tech overlords and the algorithms don't like. Yeah, but we're back on YouTube. They love us again. No, they do not love us, Darren. Nobody fucking watches us. Why is that? We're not yeah, getting recommended. We, we can still be, we're still searchable. We're easily searchable on YouTube. We are Again, easily we're searchable not on YouTube. Banned any longer on YouTube. But for the, Thank you, YouTube. We love you. Yeah, we love you yeah. so much. Because <laughs> we're a podcast and it, why would you watch a video? You. Um, <laughs> and for the longest time, Janice, you couldn't even find beer in business if you search for us on YouTube. Yeah. But we, we've spoken truth and it's impacted us. Here's why I'm bringing this up. You look at what's happened with Parlor. And you look at what's happened with all these other Twitter accounts getting canceled. I, I probably imagine that most of those people lean the same direction politically. Hmm. You're next. You, the listener, you're next. They're coming for you. Because the whole point here is to shut down dialogue. The more one-sided you make it, the more isolated that you make somebody, the more crazy they become. And, oh, geez, look at these crazy people over here. And shut their voices down. That's where this is going. Well, there's a terrific quote that's on point that I don't remember it verbatim at all, but it was from the Nazi Germany uh, era, and it goes something like this. First, they came for the communists. 
but I didn't speak up because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists. I didn't speak up because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one to speak for me. That is Niels Nollerman, and I just read it for the first time last night, helping my daughter with her English class. Yeah. They were it's comparing. a beautiful, powerful, sad quote. Yeah. Yep. So they stood there. There's another one by, there's another story that they compared it. One by another poem by Walt Whitman that really talks about the same thing. It's just oh, so, yes. the, the insanity of the mob, the insanity of, of the, the level of disinformation. You know what it remember? You know what it reminds me of the video that went viral of the guys sitting there playing beer pong and the Antifa mob goes past them and they're like, yeah, guys, you rock. Oh, and right. then they threw the bricks through the window, the bricks through the window and they're yelling out, we're on your side. We're on your side. It's like, it doesn't matter at that point. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And, and if you're looking at what's going on and you're like, well, I'm okay because I agree with, you know, the, uh, if you're a liberal and you're like, well, that's fine. It's going in my direction. I'm okay with that. Eventually it's going to catch up because, okay. So let me ask you this. If you're trying to point out what's wrong or mm-hmm. what's going that you're noticing, people are noticing that's wrong, and you're trying to do it across the interwebs through social media and such, and you're being totally shut down, then what is the only other way? What other ways can you have your voice heard? Let me let me stop you there before we go to that. This is the point that I want to make, Janice, and this is why it's so important. We, we've done episodes on COVID. We've done ep- an episode on the cancel culture. We've done an episode on, um, you know, the, the CARES Act, the HEROES Act. I mean, we've done all this stuff to talk about the insanity of the world right now. All it takes, all it takes is one mistake. And we've gotten to this point where as a, as a culture – you make one mistake, you make one post, and somebody's like, hmm, Darren's a misogynist. And all of a sudden it catches fire, and Darren gets, you know, all of a sudden all, all kinds of people locally are like, well, I'm not going to launch and go, and there's like some sort of public outcry. And then, you know, Facebook sees it and says, you know what, launch and go doesn't need to have an account. And Twitter says, oh, well, Facebook did it. I'm in too. And then Amazon says, well, his website's with us. Oh, you're done. You know, and all of a sudden Gary. he's toxic. And I mean, I he really is because I have to sit next to him when we, when we podcast. Right. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. The, the whole crazy thing about this is it does not matter what side you're on. One mistake, one thing taken out of context and you're done. Mm-hmm. And that a is pariah. a scary place. <laughs> What's that? You become a pariah. Yes. Yeah. And how, the, I mean, I'm shocked that we got to this place so fast. It started with clickbait. It's an amazing it's te- studio. Technology. That's why you used to be in the, on the farm, in the garage, in the closet. <laughs> but you came here. It's seriously, it started with clickbait in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And in this very fast evolution, here we are. They've been suppressing your voices for decades. I mean, it's been going on forever and ever and ever. It's just changed its platform. I venture to say that the three of us have made remarks 
during this very podcast that would be on the unapproved list. Oh, <laughs> you, Mr. Winnie, you've been like making all nice comments then. Me? Well, she said there, the three of us. There's actually four of us, Janice. There's four of us. Oh, four of us. Yeah. Yes, but that's yeah. okay. We're drinking beer, so. There, well, like three and a half. Darren really doesn't. Well, you know what count. I was saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not full Darren's size. I'm half size. Two that three and a half. To deplatforming possibly. Really? Yeah. If, if the if the right people were upset or got triggered. Sure. Oh, oh yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, and and the, this is one of those episodes where I don't yeah, really know that we've got takeaways. I don't know what to do about it, honestly, other than to raise awareness, because I think the, it's well, like you, you got to be careful with your business. Un, uh, unfortunately, as you said, you want to r- roll this back around a business. We're talking about fake news. If it here's if you thing. have a business, don't have your business being the one. Be careful of what your business's tone and voice is going to be out in the public because you could just. That was just a, kill your business. Yeah, and if you want to, if you want more context on that, go back and listen to our episode on virtue signaling. Yeah, because that was a good one. But I think the the biggest thing that I I think every problem solving is like a crawl, walk, run strategy, and I think the crawl portion, the the where to start, is that most people don't don't acknowledge how bad things really are. I think so many people don't want to acknowledge or accept the fact that we're really being lied to. Like, no, no, it can't be. It's like my friends. I'm showing them the CDC website. No, that's bullshit. It's a government website. I'm showing you data right off here. What, you know, we've got to start with the acceptance and this is, this should be bipartisan, Mr. Witty, it should, everybody should be on board for this. Everybody. Right. But it's, we've devolved to, you know, what's, what is human nature, right? To take the path of least resistance. We like things that we like. You know, Mm -hmm. if we have a, if, if, if there are no more honest news sources, you know, um, that tell both sides of the story, they tell the difficult side and the easy side. We just, we're going to go to a news source that tells us the easy side. And it's only going to, in my personal opinion, it's only going to get worse from here. I don't see. Thanks for the uplifting message. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just human nature, man. I mean. Yeah. It's. I think I actually feel like that, that one of the things that should be done within the journalism profession is one of the problems that I think could be fixed fairly easily would be to more clearly label an opinion show as an opinion show. It needs to say opinion or something like that right on the screen, the whole show, because people will take somebody like Sean Hannity. He is not a reporter. He is a commentator if there is a difference. And people will say, well, Fox News has unfair coverage of things. He is not a reporter. And at the same time, the news side of these organizations, the news coverage needs to make sure that their news reports include exploring different sides of the story and not just the side that makes their 
organization uh, brand, so to speak. For example, uh, I like to use this example a lot just to, to, to give people, here's how a news story should be covered. Say I have a cell phone and it's got a white cover and here are the dimensions of it. I've measured it. I can describe that as a journalist, okay? But I should not presuppose that this is a beautiful, wonderful cell phone. What I need to do is get someone's opinion about the cell phone after I describe the, the attributes of the phone. And then I get somebody that says, hey, this is a great phone. It's beautiful. It's functional, blah, blah, blah. Somebody else over here says, oh, it looks too girly for me. I'd never use that phone. Um, and I don't like the functions because of this. So but the, my point is a reporter should never couch his or her questions by saying, isn't you know, tell me the reasons this phone is wonderful or this is such a wonderful phone because they've already presupposed that the phone's wonderful. And that is not the role of the journalist. That's the role of the commentator. And the journalist's role is to describe facts and right. then to allow other people to give their opinions about the facts. That's it. Right. So let me let me give you my opinion on this. OK, I think you're right. But this, to me, is a lot like term limits. It's the fox watching the hen house. It's never going to happen because it. the only way that the news media would do that, Janice, in my opinion, is if it was legislated. But it's not going to be legislated. Just no, like it can't because of the way our, our society is set up, Congress shall make no law. Right, right, right. So I think if you're listening to this wondering, well, what can I do? We'll tune it out. Turn it off. Don't give them the ad revenue. We can vote with our feet. We still have that power because without eyeballs, these business models don't exist. So we can still hold them accountable. If you, because if there are um, sources out there that give you balanced news and you can go seek those out, then put your eyeballs there and take them off the places that aren't giving you that balanced story. I, I really feel like that's the only thing we can do. And that, that plus critical thinking. Oh. Critical, yeah, critical thinking. No, that goes back to what I said, that people are going to, they're going to watch stuff that they agree with. But what I'm at, this audience, yeah. this sorry, audience is really good. <laughs> they're smarter than the average bear. Right. Or Maybe they're dumber because they're still listening to us. I don't know, but they're Darren, not Darren, right. Darren brings those. Yes. Those in. If you listen to this podcast, <laughs> you we consider you smart. Not because of us, yeah. but because of the people we bring on the show. Yes. Don't don't subscribe to that theory and do everything you can to try to, you know, convince people otherwise. Don't get out of your echo chamber. It's comfy in there. It's warm. It's like the embrace of that old blankie. It's like it's a snuggie. Night. It is like a Snuggie. <laughs> you don't need a Snuggie. You should be uncomfortable with news. News should be a little jarring. It should be uncomfortable. It should be like, shit, really? And that's when you know you're getting news. And then, you know, apply that. You've you've been given this wonderful asset between your ears, except for Darren. I mean, there's oh, an exception to every rule. Aww. Look at him over there. He's so cute. Thank God he's cute because otherwise it's just the Aaron. freaking Ewok over here. They're adorable. It was a horrible Use, movie, but they're fine. still cute. Use the gray matter between your ears. It's there for a reason. You don't have to believe everything you hear. Yep. So, All right. Awkward silence. But part of the problem is that people have shut themselves off to other viewpoints. It, 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 I, I don't know how you fix that. Like, 
I, I, for example, one, one, a meme that I saw floating around basically said, you think you're doing enough by communicating, but you're really not because comprehension is actually what is needed, not just communication. Mm-hmm. Right. And there cannot be comprehension unless there's an open-minded approach to it. And I think that people have literally closed themselves off to anything other than what they already think. And I don't know how to fix that. Well, I've said that. I think we even said that before mm-hmm. that. I, in, well, you kind like, of unk, you know, up at Capitol Hill until they reach across the aisle but, and uh, extend that all no, branch. It's way before that. We're I mean, Janice kind of there. explained it to yeah. us when she was a cub reporter and she told us, <laughs> she told us about the, uh, the interactions she had with her um, editor. Yeah. Was it? You're, you're a, you're an impressionable person when you're young and mm-hmm. you look, you need, you need mentors, you know, pick a good mentor, you know, somebody who's, honest or, you know, and teachers, that's scary. Find a good teacher. It's our education system, teaching rational thought, rational thought. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, they go to their peers is what it is because all their peers believe what they believe. So let me stay within that. It's as you said in that, but this is all a a, a reflection of a a larger societal change. That's That's been happening. It needs to happen. Otherwise we're going down the shitter fast. (laughs) Well, there you go. For real. Well, I mean, you know, no, John, I, you make a great a, point. I like I mean, kind of a bigger point. I would just like to go back to what about the the good old golden rule? Think about yeah. would you like to have your opinion disrespected? I, I think that might be part of the solution is to get back to that very, very basic. Think about how disrespectful people are if you just raise a question sometimes. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The golden rule. Yeah, 100%. and I think if I think if you respect other people and other people's opinion, and you get into an, a debate, an honest discussion, which we have prided ourselves on in this podcast, we we always seek the truth. We're willing to listen. We're willing to have honest, you know, dialogue, and in, in intellectually honest. If you're willing to do that, you're going to find that there's more compromise in life than you ever realized, but we're starting from this baseline where it's not there. So, you know, the the biggest thing that I want people to take away from this discussion is the fact that you should be questioning what you hear. You should be critically thinking. And, you know, there, we don't know what the answers are, but the direction that we're going is not good. And more people should be aware. And you, you should at least, if anything, know that yes, it is possible that the media, the government, people in power, very powerful tech companies can lie to you. And they are. And that's that's mm-hmm. not good. Not and I don't care what you, what you believe, what what your political affiliation is, you should never ever want that. They're not lying. They're just not telling you the whole truth or any part uh, of the truth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Lie is such a strong word. Yeah. So Janice, um, on a lighter note, you have written a book. Tell us about your book. Well, you've written well, two, but there's there's your most recent book. Tell us about. Well, actually, uh, the book isn't really a lighter note necessarily, but in a way it does fit with this discussion. Uh, the, the main book that I wrote that uh, I was very, very passionate about was a case I covered as a news reporter, and it's called Submerged. Uh, Ryan Widmer has drowned bride in the justice system. And what I tried to do with this book 
is to describe the evidence that was in this bathtub drowning case that some people interpreted as suspicious, but other people could look at the same evidence and think that it was not suspicious. For example, 911 call, the guy sounds too upset or doesn't sound upset enough um, like that. So this that that was one of the cases that really opened my eyes to the justice system because I will tell you, you would think after a guy goes on trial, not once, not twice, but three times that everything would be on the table, wouldn't Holy you? Cow. You would three times. Yeah. But I found things that were never presented during his trials and I brought them out in my book. Wow. And I always found it kind of um, a little annoying, but I guess maybe I should expect it's human nature for someone to go, well, what does she think? Did he do it or didn't he do it? I don't come to a conclusion. I want, I encourage the reader to come to his or her own conclusion about whether this particular guy really committed the crime that he was convicted of or not. And it's been a case that has been on Dateline NBC, very much debated. And it actually happened back in 2008. So it's been a while. And, um, I just would encourage people to look at that case. It actually fits with what we've been discussing because, you can look at the evidence as suspicious or not suspicious for almost every piece of evidence that is in the case. And it just, I would like to challenge people in this way. I think this is a good way to wrap this up. Challenge people to, if you have realized that you have reached a conclusion about something in a very quick fashion without looking at everything, look for opportunities to prove yourself wrong. Don't just look for opportunities to go, yay, I'm right. Think about what is the other side? What am I missing? What could I be wrong? How often do we really ask ourselves that? Because I asked myself that many times throughout the coverage of that particular case. I just accept that every morning I wake up. (laughs) You you probably (laughs) sit there. (laughs) So what is actually, um, what's the name of the book? It's called Submerge, Ryan Widmer, His Drowned Bride, and the Justice System. And where can people find it to buy it? On evil Amazon. <laughs> on, on the really website. good Amazon. Sons of bitches. <laughs> or on my website, which they can find it by going to thesubmergedbook.com. Okay. We, we'd prefer that one. So go to www.thesubmergedbook.com. And I, I love what you said, Janice, and I'm actually really interested in reading this book and I'm, and I'm definitely going to, I love that you said that read it and come to your own conclusion. (gasps) Isn't that what we've been saying the entire freaking discussion? And then also sometimes you might be incorrect with your thoughts. Right. And I, and I also think that that, that same frame of mind, entrepreneurs are very good at this with their own business. Like, what can I do better? What am I? (laughs) Self-deprecation. Well, that's you, Darren, because you give yourself such a, you know, incredible canvas. Um, That's Darren. But, you know, we're so good in business of saying, what could I do better? What did I do wrong? But we're not really good at that when it comes to opinions about politics and religion and, you know, wedge issues. And we should be. There's no difference. Because guess what? Mr. Winnie, you're not always right. I would never wear a wedge. No. They don't go no with way. my jeans. You were wrong I'm once. Always, no. There was one time, Mr. Winnie. Uh, yeah, but that was so long ago. <laughs> but he did it just to see what it felt like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, get, I get what you're saying. Yes. But, uh, man, this has been really interesting, Janice, and I hope that we have 
you challenged our listeners to really think. And I know that this has been a lot of fun for me to, to dissect this because um, I'm not I'm not happy with where we're at and I'm not happy with where we're going. And I kind of struggle day to day trying to figure out what can I do to make this better. And I think most people listening have have really related to that feeling, I'm regardless of, of how you feel about politics and whatever. Kind of feels like it's out of control. And uh, maybe we can take a little bit of control back. So this podcast was kind of our way collectively to make things a little better in the world, which was, as I said, my whole reason for going into journalism. Yes. And, and honestly, it's our it was our mission when we started this podcast, too, is, you know, how can we help people out is insignificant or significant as it could be. And I'm telling you what I get just as much maybe actually let me back up. I think I get more value out of hearing that one story where somebody is like, man, I heard something on this one episode and it really changed things for me. That means more to me than knowing that, you know, 50,000 people listen to an episode. Like that doesn't mean as much to me as that one person that's like, I made a change because of something I heard. I'm really glad that Janice is on the program because I mean, being on the beer and business podcast, you just started out 2021 on a high note. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've set the bar yeah. really high. For it's yourself. all downhill from here. So yeah, I mean, this is going to well, well yeah. I mean, being on this podcast, it increases your uh, marketability in the job market. It increases your sex appeal. I mean, yeah, pretty yeah, much everything's everything. better after this. So yeah. you you're welcome. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, Janice, we really appreciate you coming on, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, we drank some delicious beers from Line Creek Brewing. We drank Cloud to Ground IPA, which was awesome. And then we drank this delicious dark lager, Renegade, mm-hmm. which we've had a few yeah. times in the past. And, man, it's been awesome. So make sure you're supporting Line Creek Brewing, Peachtree City, Georgia. Buy their beer or I'll come strangle you. I mean, just pretty much yeah. throwing it out there. Yeah. No, no, no. no. no just no. buy the beer, please. All the right. Beer. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> folks. We really appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next week. See you.